Well, in our evening services here at Chalmers Church, we have been looking through um, Matthew's Gospel and the account that Matthew records uh, for us about the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, and as Matthew records this, he's not a mere historian writing down events and facts that happened, but he records it in such a way to explain to us why the cross of Jesus was necessary and what the cross achieved. So the first of our readings this evening is taken from Matthew chapter 27, and it's from verses 24 to 44. The passage should be there in your service sheet. Matthew chapter 27, verses 24 to 44. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's, that's Jesus, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him, and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spat on him and took the reed and they struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. When they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. When they crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head, they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. And two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and the elders mocked him, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Matthew's account of the passion of Jesus is written with a clear purpose. Not primarily to describe the death of Jesus, but rather to explain why he died. The focus of Matthew's passion is never so much the fact of the cross as much as the message and its meaning. In chapter 26, just a little earlier in his account, Jesus records, Matthew records Jesus sharing the Passover meal with his disciples. And at that Passover meal, Jesus declared himself 
to be the Passover sacrifice. This is my body, which is broken for you. In his death, he inaugurates a new covenant through his own shed blood for the forgiveness of sins. And then the trial of Jesus, the first half of Matthew 27, teaches us that his death is a great redemption, setting the guilty free by payment of a ransom price. And what a price it was that the guilty might go free, the precious blood of Christ. Jesus, who was innocent and without sin, condemned so that guilty, sinful men and women might not be condemned and set free. And Matthew's passion narrative draws us in irresistibly. All around these accounts of Jesus' death, there are people, witnesses, looking on. And as Jesus, innocent and without sin, is condemned to die, we stand, the believer stands, in the place of Barabbas, the guilty one, the sinful one. Like Barabbas, we look on and watch as Jesus takes our place and pays such a price that we might be forgiven. And that brings us to the passage that Andy read a few minutes ago which describes how Jesus is handed over to be crucified. It describes the crucifixion itself. But in just a very few words, verse 35, and when they had crucified him. That's all Matthew records of the crucifixion. He records the fact but doesn't dwell on the act, awful as it was. Matthew's focus in these verses is on the contrast between the slander and hatred that surrounds Jesus and the silence of the Messiah. Jesus is mocked by the soldiers who strip him and scourge him and twist together a crown of thorns that cuts into his head. They kneel before him and call him king of the Jews. They spit on him. They take up rods and strike him. And then they led him to crucify him. The two men crucified on his left and his right side derided him. The crowds mocked him and slandered him. The religious leaders mocked him. The prophet Isaiah said this would happen. He was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, 
and we esteemed him not. That prophecy is being fulfilled before their eyes. Now, where do we stand in this bit of Matthew's narrative? Where are we to place ourselves? If you are a Christian, if you have come to see, to understand that Jesus died for your sins, if you have believed in him, this mocking him, It's where you used to stand when you esteemed him not. You may not have slandered him to his face, but you did not esteem him as your saviour. Your slander may have been simple indifference or misunderstanding, but you did not esteem him. You hid your face from the one who died to save you ashamed of him. Behold, the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. That is who you were. That is who we all were. Except now, as we listen, we feel the shame. And if you are not a Christian, it is where you stand still among the scoffers, for you esteem him not. And what does he say to you? What does the Lord Jesus say to you? What does he say to all those in the world who do not esteem him? How does he respond to the mockery, to the slander? to the questions, to the misunderstanding, to the sheer indifference, to the hundreds of thousands of people who use his name as a swear word. Our slander is met by his silence, a silence as he died that reveals his profound humility and dignity that will love us to the end. Whatever we see or whatever we think. As we'll see later, the man who stretched out Jesus' arms and nailed the nails into his hands and feet came to esteem him. One of the robbers who died beside him, as John records in his Gospel, came at the last just before he died to esteem Jesus. Why? Well, surely so struck and undone and moved and convicted by the way that Jesus died. Isaiah said he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he was silent. So now do you realize why Jesus did not open his mouth to protest his innocence? 
Do you now realize why Jesus did not respond in like to the slander, the mockery, to the indifference, the rejection, to your slander and mockery, indifference and rejection? Do you see why he was led like a lamb to the slaughter for you? He kept his silence for you. He went like a lamb to the slaughter for you. His silence guaranteed his condemnation. He did not struggle nor fight against the injustice. And his silence, in the face of whatever mockery, slander, rejection, indifference we throw at him, moves people in the end under the conviction of the Holy Spirit to be quiet before his face, to be silent, to stop insulting him, to stop hiding our face from him, that we might look upon his face and esteem him as our Savior. Undone by mercy and left speechless, watching wide-eyed at the cost, may I never lose the wonder of the cross. Let's continue reading Matthew's account of the crucifixion of Jesus. Matthew chapter 27, and we'll read now from verse 45 to 61. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge filled it with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. And when the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. There were also many women there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee ministering to them, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was also a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered that it be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. 
and he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were were there, sitting opposite the tomb. Now here, Matthew takes us to the very heart of the gospel, to the actual dying and to the death of Jesus. Everything that the law and the prophets had pointed to, all the events of Jesus' life, leading to these last hours, the heart of the message of the gospel. It is a message of darkness and light. Darkness and light is how Matthew describes the actual death of Jesus. The darkness is shocking, far more shocking than we might first think. But even more shocking, surely, than the darkness is the light. Light and glory as Jesus dies. Matthew begins and ends his narrative with darkness. You'll see there in verses 45 to 50, darkness, the spiritual darkness of dereliction. And in verses 57 to 61, the darkness of physical death, real, physical, stone-cold death as Jesus dead body is sealed in the darkness of a stone-cold tomb. And in between verses 51 to 56, wonderful light, a message that breaks forth like glorious day in the midst of the darkness. Now why does Matthew structure his narrative like this? Because he wants us to see that fundamentally, that ultimately, it is the glory of the cross, the light of the cross, that triumphs over the darkness. Consider first the darkness, verses 45 to 50, the darkness of dereliction. From the sixth hour, There was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. From midday to three o'clock in the afternoon, there was total darkness. Total darkness over the whole land. The prophet Amos spoke of a great day of judgment when the sun would go down at midday. And the darkness is a sign of the judgment of God. In the darkness, Jesus cries out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus' words reveal to us that the darkness of God's judgment is on Jesus. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And here is the very heart of the heart of the gospel that Jesus became sin for us and that Jesus 
bore the wrath of God for our sin. It is the fulfillment of the agony that he contemplated in Gethsemane. As he hung on the cross in such physical agony, it was the spiritual agony of abandonment by his father, who really did turn his face away from his beloved son, who became sin, who became a curse for us and experienced all the unleashed severity of the judgment of God. He experienced real physical hell. He descended to hell as he hung on the cross. He was separated from God that we might be reconciled to God Why did he cry, why? It was not a cry to God of ignorance. He knew what was happening. It is what he had wrestled with in Gethsemane. It is simply a cry of agonized dereliction and separation. And all that happened is witnessed by those around the cross. Some said he is calling Elijah. One of them ran and filled a sponge and mixed it with sour wine and put it on a reed. Others said, let us see whether Elijah will come. The Jews believed that Elijah would appear to save the faithful at their time of need. They think Jesus is calling for a savior. Someone gives him a drink, maybe a gesture of kindness, maybe to mock him. Others wait to see if Elijah will come to save him. Is it just that they don't understand, or is it slander? Is it mocking? Whatever it is, they are in the dark. Jesus experiences the darkness of separation from God as he descends into hell. But also the darkness of physical death. That is the point of verses 57 to 61. As the creed says, Jesus was crucified, dead, and buried. It is witnessed by the women, including the two Marys. It is witnessed by Joseph of Arimathea, who asks Pilate for the body and arranges for the burial. And Jesus is sealed in a stone, cold, dark tomb. His corpse laid out. Twice, Matthew refers to the body. Thrice he refers to the tomb. Verse 57 reminds us the darkness of night is falling. The enclosing night. The cold, dank darkness of bodily death. This is real darkness. Dereliction. Wrath, hell, and a dead body. But light, wonderfully, breaks through. Now listen to the words of this song that we'll sing in a few minutes. Saviour of Calvary, costliest victory, darkness 
defeated and Eden restored. Born as a man to die, nailed to a cross on high, cold in the grave to lie, Jesus is Lord. Source of all sovereignty, light and immortality, life everlasting and heaven assured. So with the ransomed, we praise him, Christ in his majesty. Jesus is Lord. Verse 50 is a bridge from the darkness into the light. Jesus cried out, verse 50, again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. His final cry as he bowed his head and gave up his life is not a cry of anguish dereliction. It is no longer the cry of separation, of forsakenness. It is a cry of glorious victory that Jesus' death has dealt with sin has removed the barrier between God and humanity. Jesus' death has put death to death. John, in his Gospel, records what Jesus cried. He cried, it is finished. Literally, it is accomplished. Christ died for our sins. Christ died for our sins. At This moment, darkness was defeated and Eden was restored. Just look what happened at that moment. Matthew writes, verse 51, and behold, Matthew's words mean look and see. How can we look and see if it is dark? Because it is not dark anymore. Darkness covered the land from the sixth hour until the ninth hour. It is about the ninth hour, or literally in the Greek, nearly the ninth hour, when Jesus cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He cried his cry of dereliction in the dark. But surely what Matthew is implying is that when Jesus cried his cry of victory and gave up his spirit at the ninth hour, The darkness disappeared and light flooded back because the wrath of God had been extinguished on the head of the Son of God for all who would believe. And so we sing. Now the darkness flees. Now the ground beneath quakes as its maker bows his head, curtain torn in two, dead or raised to life, finished, Christ cries. Now look at what happened in the light. Behold, verse 51, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, the tearing of the temple curtain from top to bottom is a sign of the reconciliation between God and humanity achieved through Jesus' death. You see that Jesus was separated from God on the cross that we might be reconciled to God. And the curtain in the temple separated the Holy of Holies, that is the innermost part of the temple, where only the high priest 
once a year, having performed a whole ritual series of sacrifices, could enter into the presence of God. Entrance into the presence of God for any other reason at any other time would have resulted in death. And that curtain in the temple was a barrier symbolizing the utter separation of God from humanity. And the Holy of Holies, the special place where God dwelt, was a reminder of the Garden of Eden when humanity had once dwelt with God. But after humanity's rebellion, humanity was banished from the Garden, shut out from the presence of God, the gates of Eden sealed with the flaming swords of the angels. But in the temple, in the tabernacle, in the Holy of Holies, that special place behind the curtain, God, by his grace, once again dwelt with his people. But every time you went into that temple and saw that curtain, you were reminded that because of sin, humanity could not be in the presence of a holy God. But Matthew says, at the moment Jesus died, behold, look, And that curtain that separated the people from the presence of God. Imagine this building here where we sit was a temple. It is helpfully full of curtains. Imagine the curtain separating you from being in the physical presence of a holy God. At the moment Christ died, that curtain was ripped from top to bottom. Because Jesus was separated from God, we have been reconciled to God. At that moment, when the temple curtain was ripped, the gate of Eden swung open again. Darkness was defeated and Eden was restored. Heaven and earth were reunited because Jesus had died for our sins. That is reconciliation between God and humanity. And whenever there is reconciliation between God and humanity, there must be resurrection. New life. Verse 51b, and the earth shook and the rocks split. The tombs were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. The tombs were opened. This is the power of the cross. The moment Christ died for our sins, in the words of C.S. Lewis, death went into reverse. And note it was at the moment of Jesus' death that the hold of the tombs were broken. The tombs broke open at the moment Christ died. Death was defeated, not when Jesus was raised, but when he died. The resurrection is not a rescue mission in light of the cross. The resurrection is the inevitable consequence of the cross. Now Jesus' dead body lay in the tomb for three days. 
Why? So that we might be sure that he was really dead. But death could not hold him. Because death was put to death when Jesus died. Jesus abolished death and brought light and immortality to light in the gospel, first in his own body when he was raised. And then, as a foretaste of your and my resurrection, the real resurrection of these believers. Now, I hope you can see the glory of that reality. Whatever age you are here, not only reconciled to God, but resurrected to everlasting life. Now that, my friends, makes all the difference when your dead body is laid out, that you will be raised because Christ was raised. Reconciliation in the light, resurrection in the light, and then revelation. The light dawns, and blind eyes see. The scornful are silenced. Those who slandered him are humbled. Who believed that day? The man who stretched out the hands of the Son of God and nailed the nails into them. A Gentile, a Roman, Jesus, the King of all the nations. When the centurion and those who were with him keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly this was God. What an insight that is into the astonishing grace and mercy that that man was saved. What evidence and encouragement to us that the power of the gospel can save anyone. The women, verses 55 and 56, could not yet understand but they would come to in a wonderful way. And so let me read. And then we'll stand and sing these words. Now the darkness flees. Now the ground beneath quakes as its maker bows his head. Curtain torn in two, dead or raised to life, finished the cry of Christ. Oh, to see my name written in the wounds, for through your suffering I am free. Death is crushed to death. Life is mine to live. One, through your selfless Love. This is the power of the cross. Son of God, slain for us. What a love 
What a cost that we should stand forgiven at his cross. As we come to communion and gather around the Lord's table, let me ask us all this question. We have listened and we have watched as Jesus died. All around the cross there are witnesses. Where are you standing? Are you standing in the light? Or in the dark? If you are standing in the dark, the darkness of ridicule, or slander, or hardness of heart, refusing to look at the face of Jesus, or if you are in the dark simply of indifference, or misunderstanding, you stand condemned to eternal hell. And that is a dreadful place to be. So come into the light. Christ died for your sins to reconcile you to God. Christ bore God's wrath meant for you. He descended into hell that you might not. He put death to death that you might be raised. And the message of Christ died for our sins is the power of God to reveal to people his desire to save them. If you are in the dark and the light is breaking in, then believe and let that light banish darkness for eternity. And if you are in the light, living in the light of salvation because God in his mercy has enabled you to see and believe. If you are in the light, what a wonderful thing that is. Let it fill you with the light of the glory of God 
in the face of Jesus. And let it move you to all that the Son of God died for you. And come to the Lord's table. And from the Lord's table to the cross, ever thankful to Jesus. Let us pray. Father, we pray that as we come to the Lord's table now, and these elements of bread and wine, that your Holy Spirit, that persuasive power that is altogether different from any power we could muster, will move us, take us, lead us to stand around the foot of the cross. And may we all be found standing in the light. May your Holy Spirit, even now, break into the darkest, hardest, most hostile heart, May his light flood in. And Lord, as we live in the light of Christ's forgiveness, may these elements of bread and wine take us like that Roman centurion, standing undone by mercy, wide-eyed at the cost, looking at Jesus and in all, confessing, surely this is the Son of God. For his sake, for his sake, first and then ours. Amen.